Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter and joining me as always is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? How are you spending your Memorial Day weekend? I am just watching a bunch of television and films and not necessarily anything to do with Memorial Day, but there's always sales. They're like, come have Memorial Day sale. And it's like, it has nothing to do with Memorial Day, but (laughs) for like beds, mattresses. Yeah, but we're actually going to do an episode that is connected to Memorial Day, because what are we going to do, Carter? Today, we are going to do something a little bit different on the podcast. We are going to have a Memorial Day movie marathon draft, the first of its kind that I'm aware of in existence, where we are going to construct a somewhat perfect, as close to perfect as we can, uh, Memorial Day movie marathon, alternating picks between the two of us uh, to construct a movie marathon under 16 hours. But first, there is some movie news that I'd like to touch on. Not been a lot of movie news in the last three months for obvious reasons, but Harsh times sometimes breed positive things, and Steven Soderbergh has spent the last few months holed up in his New York apartment, apparently writing screenplays. And one of the original screenplays he has written is a sequel to Sex, Lies, and Videotape. A quote from Soderbergh is, I felt like I came up with a way to get back in, and so I wrote it, and I want to make it. Do you think Soderbergh is going to actually end up making a Sex, Lies, and Videotape sequel? It's probably going to come out before we know it because he'll shoot it in like over Zoom <laughs> yeah, or something. He like thought of the story to take place during these quarantine times. I wouldn't I be mean, surprised. And he's already shot two feature films on iPhone, so he's yeah. very innovative. This is the d- next step, the new digital sexualized videotape. This is intriguing to me, though, because I he's not one to just make a movie for the sake of making a sequel so i'm sure he has oh really the guy who made oceans 12 and 13 well the reason he made those is because he's got a heck of a lot of money to do it but uh i don't think sex lies and videotape is is gonna be oceans 13 you don't think so it's gonna be star-studded with george Clooney and a al pacino cameo well, I, I I think that he'll get the original cast back. They're all alive at the orig- uh, end of the original movie, right? <laughs> no one dies. <laughs> Maybe we get a surprise twist where uh, uh, Andy McDowell ends up being a serial killer or something like that. But uh, yeah. uh, the next – I thought this was very exciting. You texted me this, uh, and I had seen the news before, but this was a bit of news that in dark times made me very excited is that Universal have hired Luca Guadagnino to make a new version of Scarface with a script by the Coen brothers. Well, I feel like people will go, oh, how dare they remake the Al Pacino, Brian De Palma film written by Oliver Stone. Well, that was a remake itself of (laughs) the 30s film by Howard Hawks. And, you know, the thing from John Carpenter in the 80s, that was remade, but the John Carpenter film was a remake. So Mm -hmm. uh, the way I look at it, Really talented people, you know, behind the screen, the director, the screenwriters. Um, and I think his remake of Suspiria was pretty gnarly and yes. uh, terrific and uh, original, you know, ha- paid homage to the original, but was its own beast. Definitely. So I'm not like super excited. I'm just excited that there is a Luca Guadagnino film that's written by the Coen brothers and it just happens to be Scarface. But we'll see. I mean, I think. This is one where I feel like each generation can get their own version of Scarface. I don't think it's like a holy text. It's not like remaking The Godfather or something like that. And I I don't know, the Coen Brothers script idea. We'll see if they end up 
that being the script that they end up use, or maybe Luca Guadagnino will write his own script. But I, this is very intriguing news to me. The first thing I thought about is who's going to star in it. I don't think he will reunite with Timothy Chalamet. I just can't quite see him being Scarface. He is the little friend. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Well, I uh, was thinking, thinking possibly, uh, what's the actor name? Edgar Ramirez, or oh. uh, the actor from played the husband in Joy, and yeah, he, uh, he was, was in Zero uh, Dark Thirty. Uh, Carlos, the miniseries yeah, that was really good ten years ago or so. Yeah, Giovanni Versace miniseries. Yes. Uh, yeah, I could see him. Or um, yeah, I I am not jumping with excitement about another i'm not really jumping with excitement over any remake or sequel in general but it's the talent that's behind it that intrigues me and this intrigues me because of the talent Mm -hmm. well in relation to movie theaters opening or not opening some news that was just well not really movie theaters but news that was just came across today i just came across today the venice film festival planning to go ahead as planned in september uh can was something that was supposed to be taking place a few weeks ago but for obvious reasons did not this can't <laughs> that's pretty good the venice film festival if it happens in september will be like the first major film festival to to go ahead we'll see about like telluride in toronto and stuff like that but uh i, I don't know i hope this goes ahead i even though i it's not like we see the films at Venice. I like hearing like reaction to films and stuff like that. And it'll be a nice return to normalcy if the Venice Film Festival actually ends up happening. Well, there's talk that there might not even be an Oscars early yeah. next year. They might skip a year because if there's only going to be... I mean, I saw someone write on Twitter, is Dr. Doolittle going to win Best <laughs> Picture, the Robert Downey Jr. version? But I do think that this is going to change a lot of the rules, the eligibility. Yes. And I do think that it's quite possible that they'll just skip a year because are they going to try to rush and cram uh, a whole year's worth of quote unquote Oscar contenders into the last? I mean, they do that anyway, kind of, but it's not going to be, it's not going to work very well if there hasn't been a whole year of film festivals that spread it out. They might release them at the end of the year, but that you've had a whole year of releasing them through film festivals. Uh And, and, but uh, I just, I mean, locally or close to me both of the art house theaters in charlotte north carolina have closed recently and i just seriously worry about the future of movie theaters i think that there will always be the marvel movies and star wars the animated films the family movies playing in multiplexes all across the country but i seriously worry that there's going to be most adult quote-unquote adult films just going straight to streaming and only going to play in a few major cities and i don't like the idea of having to you know go to new york city Uh or just watch the new newest coen brothers terrence malick or mike lee i know in and i always said i've always said if a film falls on netflix and no one's there to watch it does it make a sound like (laughs) I, I, there's these the great new David films. Spade movie gets watched by 150 million people. <laughs> I know. I mean, I I think the Nicholas Winding Refn miniseries or film or whatever you want to call it, Tool to Die Young, was like a masterwork. And I don't know that anyone on the earth has hardly seen it. Like, mm-hmm. I really would love to see the statistics of how many people actually watched all 13 hours because I, I don't think it's very easy can. to get buried when you've got so many stuff to watch. 
Um, I know, like I did. It got terrible reviews, but I didn't realize that D. Rees new movie that's a adaptation of a Joan Didion novel oh, that yeah. premiered at Sundance got awful reviews. It are, it's already on Netflix. It's been on Netflix for like two months. I know, and it's like I don't really want to see it, um, but I didn't. It's just like things come out, and you're like oh wait, that's already out. Yeah. And I always feel like I'm cheating if I go to see something. If I just stay at home, I mean, it's different in this time. Yeah. But if something's playing in a theater, especially if it's close to me, I don't want to stay at home. If I really want to see something, I want to go to a theater and mm-hmm. see it. But I don't I mean, know. I mean, Tenet in July is going to be a big uh, sort of watermark well, for the whole. The- if it well, that, if it keeps if it is released as planned. Well, that's what's interesting is that a new extended trailer came out and it doesn't say the date at the end of the trailer. It just says oh, really? coming coming soon to theaters or something like that. It's vague. And I, you know, I'm not going to. The other thing that's weird is that it might not open in New York and L.A., but it will open everywhere else in the <laughs> yeah, country. Wouldn't that be weird? I know. And, and those are like two major, major markets. Yeah. But. Um, if, uh, if you don't mind, I want to mention uh, a few passings that were really sad uh, in the last few days. Uh, Fred Willard, great comic uh, actor, uh, died at 86. He's best known for being in uh, This Is Spinal Tap and Christopher Guest's movies like Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show. And he's uh, appeared in numerous television shows everybody loves raymond modern family and yeah he was one of the truly funniest people he was an anchor man and he he just was he was someone that was like you you didn't you just saw him go oh it's he's going to be funny like Mm -hmm. he's so effortlessly effortlessly brilliant and funny and then another even more tragic probably because she was so young uh the writer, director, actress Lynn Sheldon died, and she was only 54, and she just suddenly died of a rare blood uh, disease that nobody knew about, even her. She was feeling uh, not well, and she got tested for COVID, and it came back negative, and she was rushed to the hospital after collapsing, uh, and she died very soon after, and she had been in a relationship with the comedian and podcast host Mark Marin, and they had done uh, her most recent film. She wrote it and directed it and acted in it, and he was the star of it. And he did a podcast episode reposting their first interview when they first met in 2015, and it's just absolutely heartbreaking. It's really hard to listen to, but it's a very beautiful tribute to her. But she directed films such as Sort of Trust, Laggies, Touchy Feely, and she's directed a lot of television, uh, Mad Men, and um, just just so many. Uh, you know, the more, more recently she directed that Reese Witherspoon, Kerry Washington series on Hulu, uh-huh. Little Fires Everywhere. Um, but yeah, it's a real loss. There were so many people in the independent film community that just everyone had so much kind words to say about her that she was just a lovely person. So uh, rest in peace, Fred Willard and Lynn Sheldon. But um, Let's memorialize uh, in a different way now. We can. What what is our episode going to be? You want to set up how we're going to do it? Well, I will. I will set up the rules here. We are drafting war movies, obviously, for this Memorial Day marathon, set during a war involving war and its story. I feel like it's like that definition of porn. You know it when you see it. If if you try to pick a non-war movie, I'm going to call you out on that. Um, we're going to alternate picks. We're going to do a nice little digital coin flip for the first pick here in a couple minutes. Uh, seven rounds, maybe more if you need to fill up, if you pick a bunch of short movies. 
but the films have to have a combined running time of less than 16 hours or 960 minutes to be precise and, and i'm envisioning this as an 8 a.m to 2 a.m movie marathon uh, if you're just locked in for your stay-at-home memorial day uh and we are going to adhere to the tcm style of broadcast <laughs> broadcasts in which we operate in 15 minute intervals uh usually with a short or possibly a little longer introduction and then full credits so for example if a movie is two hours and 10 minutes long we will round up to two hours and 15 minutes uh is everything straight on your side jonathan right and well do you want to say that if a movie's like 119 minutes if it was actually going to show on turner classic movies they would have it be two hours and 15 minutes but we'll just count it if it's like right under we'll just yes. say two hours yes that would yeah. make it very difficult if we were like totally rounding up like that so i'm yeah. are you ready i'm about to flip the coin okay do you want me to say one yes call it heads Tails! I get the number one pick. Look at this. Alright. This is gonna set me up right. Uh, this one the is, pressure. is a value pressure. pick. I'm doing this mostly to allow me to make... To be more flexible down the line. My first pick at 88 minutes is Paths of Glory, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Not only does it have a nice short running time, it is also one of the best war movies ever made. Uh... I mean, some the shots of him walking through the uh, the trenches are some of the more iconic shots you'll ever see in a war movie. A little bit different than his later movies. Uh, I think being in black and white has a little bit to do that because color is such an important part of Stanley Kubrick's uh, directorial style. But Paths of Glory is an exceptional movie. Kirk Douglas starring in it. I think this is a very fitting number one pick. Was that on your big board, Jonathan? Uh, yes, and I actually, uh, this is probably the most recent war film I've seen. I've seen it a number of times, but I watched it shortly after Kirk Douglas passed away earlier this year. I showed it to a friend who had never seen the film, and it's top five Kubrick for me. I yeah. think it's just, it's, and almost like, unlike almost all of his other films, it's under 90 minutes. <laughs> you know, he, almost every movie he made after that was two and a half hours or longer, like even Lolita, you know, they're almost all uh, super long. But yeah, it's just, it's one of Kirk Douglas's best performances and it's just so, it's so simple but so profound. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's an, it's a profoundly aggravating movie but in a beautiful human way. Yes. Very much about how awful the bureaucracy of, of government involving war can be. And how the innocent are mostly the people who suffer. So, I mean, honoring the, the point of Memorial Day, remembering our fallen soldiers and reminding ourselves of the horrors of war. I, I thought I needed to get that one early because I thought you might be picking that one. Okay. Well, let me pick another one that you might possibly, just to go along to kind of connect it, I will go next with Dr. Strangelove Ooh. or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, which is only 95 minutes. It's uh, Stanley Kubrick's brilliant masterpiece from 1964 that stars Peter Sellers in three roles, including the titular Dr. Strangelove. And it is, I don't know, if I ever would consider a film to be perfect, but Dr. Strangelove is just about as close as I've ever seen to a perfect film. I mean, it is in every way, the performances, the direction, the script, this, the production design, that war room set. I mean, it is just 
flawless and it's a movie that gets better every time you see it even though i'm pretty much saying it's perfect (laughs) every time i watch it it's funnier and more scary and more relevant and uh it's just such a it's just a an amazing movie and i love it every time i see it when's the last time you actually saw it uh i saw it when it aired on tcm in march was the last time i saw it very ahead of its time in terms of uh blending the comedy and the drama and the the part where they attack the fort has actually got some nice action in it right and it's uh based on a novel that was serious and they actually started the film when they were originally yeah which came out the same year actually the the, right Sidney lumet film and it's just uh I mean, it's so uh, Doctor Strange is such an iconic film. You have the image of set during um, the Cold War, right? You have Slim Pickens riding the bomb down like a horse, and you have uh, the classic lines like "You can't fight in here. This is the war room." <laughs> and uh, I, if it's not Peter Sellers doing the three best performances in the film, I mean, I also think that George C. Scott yes. is just so hysterical as showing uh, a different side of himself. Yeah. Buck Turgidson, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The part where he slaps just... himself in the belly. Right. And he's like, you're going to let him in here? They'll see the big board. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just such a – yeah. It, it really is – if you've never seen it, it's just an absolute masterpiece. I mean that's a film that truly deserves the word masterpiece. Oh, totally. Right. So talk of big board. I am looking at my big board right here. You took off Doctor Strange Love. That was, was that on, on your list. It was. So, okay. You got to think about what you might do here. And also, the movie marathon melding together. My number two pick coming in at 153 minutes. So, using up some of my minutes here. Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. I think, I think this is a mood setter. This is... It's one of, for me, the most watchable war movies ever made. Uh, when you're getting a little sick of how long you've been sitting on your ass watching movies, I think this is the perfect one to give you that little jolt and get you back in it, get you your, your enthusiasm for watching more movies pumping again. Um, I, yeah, I'm glad that this was still on the board. You didn't take it with your number one. Well, do you want to talk about why you like it so much? <laughs> Did I not just do that? I mean, it's incredibly fun for me this is the most fun tarantino movie pulp fiction you could say is a better movie but if it's not as i mean inglorious bastards owes so much to like the action adventure men on a mission movies of the 1960s and that's one of my favorite genres maybe some of those might make an appearance later on in this draft but as far as that genre is concerned inglorious bastards is like the perfect uh everything coming together in the right right way being a nice homage having some really intense action scenes like the part where uh the bastards invade uh the prison where hugo stiglitz is is an incredible set piece for me um more recent than a lot of the other ones on my list but getting a nice 21st century war movie in there i think is necessary right was nominated for multiple oscars and it won best supporting actor no no uh it did not it beat uh another great war film that year the hurt locker at one best uh, original screenplay because remember tarantino won for pulp fiction and django unchained but Uh he did not win for but he was nominated for best director christoph waltz won best supporting actor and yeah it's one of my favorite tarantino films i think it's one of only uh okay i saw mad max fury road five times in theaters i saw two films 
three times in theaters, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, and Inglorious Bastards. I saw those three times each in a theater, so I definitely uh, love that movie. So I will go to a, I'm going to use one of my really long films that is possibly on your list. Uh, and this is a film that won Best Picture uh, at two hours and 50 minutes long. It's William Wyler's The Best Years of Our Lives. Um, that film is a post-war film. It deals with the soldiers coming home and dealing with how they are going to integrate back into their day-to-day life. Small town America. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful, moving but also, uh, you know, it, it, it isn't just this glossy Hollywood film. I mean, it does have the sweep and the style of the great Hollywood movies, but it really is an adult, serious oh, film. It's raw. Yeah. And it has so many good actors in it. Frederick March, Myrna Loy. And it's the only actor to win an Oscar twice for the same role because Harold Russell, who was actually an injured soldier, won Best Supporting Actor and a special Oscar for his performance in the film. He plays a soldier who now has hooks for hands. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, I mean, it's one of those movies that flies by. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it's so engrossing for nearly three hours. And it really is, I think, one of the best films that's won Best Picture. Uh, you know, sometimes you look back at the older movies that have won Best Picture and you're like, oh, this is kind of dated. But that movie it's definitely is from the time period it came out, but it's still so powerful and it's such a uh, good snapshot of what life was like after World War II. The film came out in 1946, so mm-hmm. right after the war ended. Uh, so that's a classic, classic film that you really should watch if you've not seen it. Oh, yeah. One of the few movies that brings me to tears almost every time I watch it. And so many different parts, too. Yeah, it's just such a it's it's one of the best war films that came out uh, right after the war, mm-hmm. you know, and during the war. It's it's I mean, it's up there with. Well, I don't want to mention any others because there might be <laughs> on the list later. But what what will you hop to next? Uh, since my last one was so long, I feel like I need to make another strategic pick to make sure I get an under two hour movie. And not to say that this isn't one I wouldn't pick otherwise, but I think this is a movie that really brings together a Memorial Day marathon. Uh, my third pick coming in at 102 minutes is Casablanca from 1943. I was just about to say another best picture winner that came out during the war. What? And yeah. Have I stopped myself? <laughs> uh, one of the iconic performances from Humphrey Bogart, probably one of the greatest film characters of all time. Would you say that? Oh, yeah, certainly. And I think it was one of the major films that created the mythos and the yes. celebrity, you know, you know, not celebrity, but just what Humphrey Bogart is in people's minds. Oh, yeah. I mean, Casablanca has taken a place in like the public conscious way beyond like what the actual movie even was in 1943. And that was like a big deal in 1943. It won Best Picture. The whole like play it again, Sam thing uh, will always have Paris. Uh, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Casablanca is truly one of the most iconic movies of all time. One of the great war movies that doesn't have like battle scenes in it, but is very much about war and about people living in the wartime environment. Uh, the whole sequence of uh, Rick and was it Elsa is the name of uh, her character? Right. 
their like time together in Paris and the encroaching Germans. It's just incredible cinema. And this is one of the great movies of the Hollywood studio system where Michael Curtis is a director, right? Curtis, yeah. Curtis, yeah. You wouldn't necessarily think of him as like one of the great auteurs of the history of filmmaking, but a really talented filmmaker who delivered quality films and everything just came together so perfectly. And the the scene where the Germans are singing in the bar and they play La Marseillaise is one of the truly like hair raising, inspiring moments in the history of film. So uh, Casablanca is my third pick. I'll just say that I'm not counting this on the list because I don't really think you would count it as a war film, but a great patriotic film that Michael Curtiz also directed the same year as Casablanca, 1942, is Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that shows you how prolific he was that he – I think he had three films out that year and one was Casablanca and, and one was Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean that really is incredible. So I'm going to completely shift and do a completely different type of movie. I'm going to go to the 2015 uh, film that won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film in 2016, uh, Son of Saul. Ooh. Which is Going a, dark on Memorial Day. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about harrowing. Oh, this yeah. This movie is a fly on the wall on the concentration camp wall yes i mean it is thrusts you right into it yeah it is basically you're watching with handheld cameras what it would be like to be in a concentration camp and it's a very simple plot it's about a man who is trying to find uh uh, the proper uh, burial for a body and the movie What's so brilliant about the way it's shot is that you see the horrors of the war and of the concentration camp and the atrocities, but it doesn't linger on it. It is in the background. It's, you know, you see it in the rush of the camera going around. It's like it doesn't, it's not like a Michael Hanukkah film where you're watching in a static shot someone being tortured. Oh, yeah. The camera's almost always moving. Right. And it's such a grueling, but. Just, ripping oh yeah it's it's just it's it's so powerful and overwhelming and it's one of those movies that you should see as a human being like oh, as yeah. a morality thing it's like that and 12 years a slave it's like you watch that movie and you go like people need to watch this movie to show what the true horrors of the concentration camps were so son of saul is a uh you know it's a great uh we didn't mention it i don't think but it's a great directorial debut oh it's was a, it really yeah that's incredible because it's like so assured it's like an incredible film in terms of the filmmaking there's so many like extended takes just following saul and doing his point of view and stuff like that i mean it's an incredibly powerful film you really can't take your eyes off it right i probably shouldn't say this but uh i saw an interview with todd solons and he said it was like weekend at bernie's in a concentration camp but he's jewish so he can get away with saying that but it is a and it's one of the most just devastating serious movies you can i mean if you want to be if you're in the mood for like serious you know depressing cinema this is about as fine as you can get so the 2015 film son of saul yeah i feel like don't air that one at noon during the the marathon no it'll be a little bit late in the afternoon probably (laughs) uh but it's a hungarian film so son of saul yeah i don't have too many that actually wasn't on my list i don't have too many foreign movies uh, more. to my detriment um i'm gonna go ahead and grab one i didn't expect to be on here 
and my last pick and my first pick made this possible that I can do this. I'm I, a steal in the fourth round. I am taking the thin red line at 171 minutes. For me, the greatest war movie ever made, uh, directed by Terrence Malick. Uh, it, incredibly philosophical and introspective. It just makes you think about the purpose of life and the purpose of war. What are people fighting for? All sort of that uh, stuff like that. But also incredibly gripping filmmaking. The the scene, it's a very extended scene. It's like half an hour to 45 minutes where they're attacking a fortified position on a hill. It takes place in the in the Pacific Theater of World War II. They're attacking a Japanese hill and it's just like chaos. Everyone's falling and we have this camera that's like the omniscient point of view of God flying in and out of the uh, the battlefield. It's one of the more incredible actions, well, war action scenes that I've ever seen in anything. It's just absolutely breathtaking. This will be like the crown jewel of my marathon airing from 8 to 11. I'm so glad I got this. This is the perfect fourth round pick. Amazing. I saw the film for the first time at the Museum of the Moving Image in 35 millimeter, and I love. I think on the Criterion Blu-ray it says that Malik wants you to play this film loud. Yes, it does. And um, remember when we saw it in our class, he, the professor, really cranked up the <laughs> yeah, volume. I, I think someone came in from another room. They're like, "What are you doing in here?" Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's not my favorite Malik film. Not that he's made that many, but I do think it's. Uh, very uh, it's an enigmatic I mean all of Malick's movies are but yeah. it's so uh, just it, it does have the sweep and grit of a war film but also is very poetic and very Malick yes. yes. and it makes uh, you know it's interesting it came out the same year as Saving Private Ryan correct mm-hmm. yeah but um, so another almost I'm, three hour long World War II movie both nominated right. for best picture and right. both lost to Shakespeare in Love yeah, even though Spielberg did win Best Director for Private Ryan. Okay, so I'm going to go to a movie that is totally the opposite of the last two, definitely of Son of Saul and Thin Red Line. I'm going to go to a 19, uh, 1933 comedy. It's only 69 minutes. Uh, I think uh, this film is also a masterpiece, uh, Duck Soup. Uh, Marx Brothers' brilliant anti-war satire directed by Leo McCary. This is one of the top 10 funniest movies ever made. It is the best film the Marx Brothers ever made, and it is the last film they made for Paramount. It's the last one that Zeppo starred in. It was After that, it was just the three Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. And this is just stripped down. There's no pointless romantic subplot there's no annoying songs where the lovers are singing to each other this is 69 minutes of pure unadulterated anarchy marx brothers zaniness and it is hysterical there's so many funny set pieces and lines there's the famous uh mirror scene yes. where harpo and Groucho are uh, standing in front of a broken mirror and they're mirroring each other's movements one of the greatest uh, scenes in the history of comedy Yes, it was uh, done again uh, on I Love Lucy with Harpo and Lucille Ball. Uh, I think in a Simpsons episode. Oh, it's been done a lot, uh, referenced uh, throughout film history since. And it wasn't actually the first time. This is really film nerdy, but there was a silent comedian that was even before Chaplin, that Chaplin was inspired by named Max Linder. And uh, he did a similar gag where a mirror was broken and they were moving in front of it. But... The Marx Brothers are key comedians in the history of cinema, and uh, 
I have, I want to give a special shout out to Margaret Dumont, who is just the perfect comic foil. She's like the greatest straight woman in film history. And yeah, this movie still is funny. Uh, 87 years later, it's just, it's just so funny. It's just laugh out loud, zany, but it's also to me, one of the, mo- in a weird way, it's one of the most profound statements on war ever because it shows the absurdity of it. And I think that, it's a film that even though it's totally ridiculous, it makes a lot of sense, especially in today's times with insane leaders who uh-huh. like, you know, it's like you never thought we'd have a president that would be worse than fire, uh, Rufus T firefly, <laughs> but maybe that's happened. And I do think it's interesting that, uh, when it came out, there's kind of a misnomer that it was this huge box office bomb. It actually did well at the box office, but compared to their earlier films, it did not do nearly as well, but it definitely, um, helped stop their career at Paramount and they went to MGM, but duck soup is, you know, a classic Turner classic movie. Like it would be, it's on Turner classic movies all the time. Mm -hmm. Only 69 minutes duck soup masterpiece. It does seem a lot more expensive than their previous movies. <laughs> was that part of the, the I guess, general uh, attitude towards it as a bomb? Well, I think that they also it, – it, it was p- perhaps their most uh, – it had more anarchy than any yeah. of their other movies. <laughs> There's some serious anarchy in it. And there's also – they didn't have the romantic subplots mm-hmm. and it was just completely zany Marx Brothers. And I think some people were almost – uh, even though it's 69 minutes, they were almost overwhelmed by how, yeah. it's like, you know, later it's like SpongeBob. I mean, it's like ADD <laughs> film watching. I, I just, there's so many, I mean, there's more gags per minute, yeah. you know, in that movie. Yeah. So duck soup, uh, one of the greatest comedies ever made. Yeah. Comedy from the thirties that people, if you like watch it with a bunch of people today, it, it will get a lot of laughs. Like it still really holds up. Right. Um, so the fifth round of the draft here. Have I, you been adding up along the way? I've been adding up. I've got, I'm very comfortable as far as running time is concerned here. So I'm going to pick another fairly long movie uh, that I'm, I think is a steal in the fifth round here. I'm very glad. Well, we only have two people picking, so <laughs> um, I'm going with the dirty dozen at 150 minutes, um, which I've never seen. Amazing. Oh my God. You need to see that. It's on uh TCM tomorrow. Uh, if you have it, you should definitely watch that for Memorial Day. One of the most fun war movies, an incredible Lee Marvin performance. This is during... it's a great dad movie, right? It it's is like a great dad. dad movie. Oh, yeah. Like, this is like every dad's favorite movie, The Dirty Does. It. Jim Brown uh, playing a soldier. Amazing cast. We've got uh, John Cassidy, Lee Marvin, Lee Marvin uh, Charles Bronson. Uh, it just goes on and Ernest Borgnine. Uh, this is going to make a perfect uh, double feature during this marathon of Within Glorious Bastards. We're just going to have five hours of rip-roaring wartime, man-on-a-mission, 60s-style fun uh, right before we get very serious with the Thin Red Line. Um, yeah, Who directed uh, it? Uh, I can't... It was a John, it's not John Sturgis. I can't actually remember. Robert right Aldridge? Now. It's not, not a movie I think about the director when I watch it. It's, I think about The Dirty Dozen. I think about Donald Sutherland. Uh, yeah, I mean, you ga- I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. That's amazing. You really need to remedy that. I think it's on Netflix. I might be wrong. Uh, wait, let's see. It was directed by Robert Aldridge, who okay. directed uh, 
so many did Kiss Me Deadly and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And John Cassavetes oh, really? was nominated for Same Best Supporting Actor. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Yeah, I came out just a few that. years earlier. <laughs> wow. I was yeah. not given the director credit there. I just watched yeah. this movie as the dirty does and never even thought about who directed it. Yeah. This uh, is a movie when... I've seen like a million times since I was a kid. I watch this almost every Memorial Day. Man, you really need to watch this. Yeah, it's it's just one of those you got to take the time. I mean, it's it's not three and a half hour, four hours long, but it is two and a half, yeah. so it's a commitment. But you say it's I've seen The Great Escape, but uh, it's like that kind of type of movie. Yes, I and it's a lot more. It's a lot more like of its time. The Great Escape feels very classic Hollywood. Dirty Dozen has got a little bit of counterculture in it with the whole John Cassavetes performance and like prisoners being the heroes. It's got a lot more edge than The Great Escape, but very much it's, of yeah. a similar sort of 60s adventure. Spend a, a good almost three hours in a movie theater. <laughs> Escape the heat kind of movie. What's well, uh, 1967, which was the year of Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate, mm-hmm. so it seemed like it came out in the perfect time to be a transition between the old school you know, uh, war films and the more mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, counterculture films, like you were saying. Exactly right. Really well, fun movie. Well, I will go to my next one, which I'm almost certain will not be on your list because I don't think you've seen it. Uh, I'm going to pick a completely random movie. The Emperor's Naked Army Marches On, which is a 1987 Japanese documentary. Is this about that, World War II? Yeah, it is an insane film. It's an insane film. Uh, the reason I heard about it originally is that Errol Morris, the great director of The Fog of War and The Thin Blue Line, he said that it's one of his 10 favorite films of all time and might be the the best documentary that he's ever seen. And it's a documentary about this older Japanese man who was like in his 60s. And Ever since th- he fought in World War II, and ever since then, he's been protesting the Japanese emperor, and he's done crazy things like shoot lead pellets at him and wow. drive around in a van outside the palace with a megaphone protesting various political issues. And he gets in his head that there were some soldiers in his unit that were killed technically after the war ended, World War II, and he's trying to get justice for them. And this is just a fascinating documentary when you think about the role of the filmmakers and the boundary of like, do you interfere? Because there are multiple scenes in the film where you have this older Japanese man meeting other people that he fought with and he they're very cordial at first and then he starts pressuring them wanting answers about what they know about these soldiers who he thinks were killed after the war and murdered and when the his fellow uh soldiers don't answer him he starts just punching them on camera and like attacking them and the wives will come in and say don't hit him he's old he's not well don't (laughs) and he's just like just slapping him and punching him in the face and the director is like standing there with the camera and you're like oh my god and the wife will say i'm gonna call the police he's like i want you to call the police i want justice i want an arrest and it's it just gets more and more insane and you're just like amazed that this is captured on film and it's just such an 
remarkable uh, documentary. Uh, I actually bought the UK Blu-ray of it. It's on a region-free Blu-ray that's uh, available that came out recently. And it's also just on YouTube if you want to watch it off of YouTube. But there's been a beautiful restoration of the film. It's a very kind of... Uh, raw documentary because it doesn't look you know pristine it's kind of a lot of it's just captured in the moment uh-huh. and it's it's a very rough around the edges but it, it it is one of the most remarkable documentaries i've ever seen uh 1987's the emperor's naked army marches huh. on absolutely recommend it what's the running time for that one it is two hours and two minutes oh that's a good solid so the, we round that one up to 215 we're gonna have a long introduction for that <laughs> um so sixth round correct uh i'm gonna pick a comedy for this one that i think might be on yours and i don't want you to pick this before i get it i'm going with to be or not to be coming in at 99 minutes jack benny world war ii comedy about the invasion of poland one of the great comedies ever made still really holds up today uh to be or not to be the title comes from the speech from hamlet it is about the power of theater and the power of comedy and the power of Jack Benny. Um, for me, this is one of the great comedies ever made. I have uh, a Blu-ray of it from the Criterion Collection. and This is a great sort of mood setter to put here during this marathon. Uh, was this on your big board, Jonathan? Yeah, it is just, I mean, Lubitsch is considered yes. like the, you, you said like a master class in comedy. And Jack Benny used to joke that he never did, uh, he, he didn't do very many good films, but that's not true. He did, he didn't do that many films, but to be or not to be is by far the best, uh, film he ever did he did a lot mm-hmm. of great television and radio but oh my gosh he is just hysterically funny in this film and you have who is the female lead is it um carol lombard yeah it was her last film i mm-hmm. think she died in a plane crash yes um, very tragically. yeah but boy and it, the the balls of this movie yes. the <laughs> fact that it came out 1942 during the war yes. same year as casablanca right no wait casablanca was 42 40, right i think casablanca is 43 is i think it, ms um, menever is 42 uh, I think Casablanca is 42. Maybe it's 43 Oscars, but Ernst Lubitsch, yeah. yeah. I should have mentioned him in my first one. One of the great comedy directors of all time. I, this might be his best movie. Um, sort of the proto-Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder before Billy Wilder was Ernst Lubitsch, known for his romantic comedies like Danochka and uh, The Shop Around the Corner, Designed for Living. But this is definitely like the most bite to any of the comedies that, that he made. Um as a Jew from the German Empire, had a, a lot of ill will towards uh, the Nazi regime. And this is one of the great comedic sort of tearing downs of Nazi regime and a real amazing sending up of Hitler while Hitler was still alive. Uh, if you, if listeners have not seen this movie, go seek it out. This is truly one of the great comedies ever made. And although there's a pretty good remake that came out in the 80s starring Mel Brooks and his wife Anne Bancroft, um, Definitely watch the original first, the 99-minute uh, film from 1942. Yeah, when I first was like Blockbuster was still doing their DVD service, I got To Be or Not To Be 1942 in the mail, and they sent me the one from 1983, and I started watching it. I was like, what? Why is Mel Brooks in this movie from the 40s? And I like did a little more research, and I was like, there's a remake, and they sent me this wrong one. So yeah, I actually saw that one before I saw the one from 1942. 
the best scene in the remake is uh, Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft singing Sweet Georgia Brown in Polish. <laughs> Sweet Georgia Brown. Yeah. But that's for a lot funny. of it, takes like the exact same beats for the first one. Right. Um, well, I will go to a film that I don't know that you've seen. It might not be on your list. Have you ever seen Sam Peckinpah's 1977 film Cross of Iron? No, I haven't. Great poster, though. I've seen that. Yeah, that's uh, it's one of his films that's not as well known as some of his other ones. Uh, Sam Peckinpah directed The Wild Bunch, Straw Dogs. But this is a film that stars James Coburn, James Mason and Maximilian Schell. Mm -hmm. And it is a film set during uh, World War Two. It's about a German commander. And uh, he places his squad in extreme danger um, after uh, James Coburn's character refuses to lie for him. I'm just kind of reading the basic plot synopsis. But this it's really interesting seeing Sam Peckinpah, who is most known for doing westerns and kind of straight action films, doing a war film. And it is bleak and unrelenting, and it's it's a it's a pretty dark movie. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Sam, Sam Peckinpah, mm-hmm. and this is probably the last really good movie he did. Uh, came out in '77, and like a lot of his movies, was not particularly beloved when it came out. But I think it's one of his better films. And uh, I mean, just those actors. I mean, James Coburn, James Mason. It's always good to see those you know just stellar actors um but yeah so you've never seen this one no i haven't yeah it's a hundred i love james mason yeah uh it's a a hour and 59 minutes so just under two hours so if you want to just count it as two hours yeah Uh, i'm this is the first one where i'm being limited with my i'm so close to being able to pick bridge on the river Kwai. i'm literally two minutes off so i need to do a little strategizing here. I can't pick Bridge on the River Kwai. I cannot pick Saving Private Ryan. That is four minutes too long. Uh, so I am going to go with uh, a new, I would say an instant classic war movie. I'm going with Dunkirk coming in at 106 minutes, rounding that up to 120. That takes me just below our 16-hour mark. I'm going to round it out with Dunkirk. How, uh, many, how much time do you have left? I have... 35 minutes left okay we'll do night and fog then but go <laughs> I, ahead. Yes, I can do night and fog at 2 a.m yeah. to really bring everybody down but yeah dunkirk um absolutely relentless war movie um about the about uh an event that most people necessarily wouldn't think of as being the most exciting or dramatic uh battle of world war ii it is essentially a massive retreat from france back to britain but is sort of one of the great um moments of the national uh history of britain the great coming together of the nation in which they get behind their boys and even for an american who is not a brit it makes me very patriotic for britishness mark rylance is like the perfect 1940s old man bringing the boys back um one of the great mask performances by tom hardy as a pilot we see him behind his mask for like almost the entire movie some of the great aerial uh, battle sequences of any movie, uh, at least since like Top Gun or something like that. We'll see what the next Top Gun has in store. But Dunkirk and it's sort of like Spitfire, World War II airplane battles are some of the best I've seen in that. Midway from the 60s is a pretty good Battle of Britain. Um, but really good un, uh, unknown actor performances. Uh, Honorin Barnard, who's going to be in the 
David Copperfield movie when I ever get to see that uh, makes a great appearance as a Frenchman who doesn't speak for most of Dunkirk we've got great Kenneth Branagh there are just so many great British actors in this movie um the scene where they're bombing the beach there's just so many great set pieces uh carrying the stretcher over the the bridge uh so many great moments was this on your big board I know you're a fan of Dunkirk I don't know if you hold it in as high regard as I do I'm not the biggest Christopher Nolan fan, but I do like a number of his movies, and Dunkirk is an incredible achievement. Did you see it in IMAX and or 70 millimeter? I saw it. I at saw the it large... in IMAX. In I saw... Very loud. Great experience in the yeah. movie theater. Yeah, I saw it in the largest IMAX in New York City in 70 millimeter, and I went at like 9 a.m. in the morning because I had cheaper tickets before noon, uh-huh. and it was uh, it's an overwhelming experience. It's also unlike it's it's like uh, with Kubrick, this is one of his few films that's under two hours. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I um, I'm very interested to see what he's going to be doing with Tenant, uh-huh. but. Uh, this is certainly, I think, one of his best films, and it's uh, it's interesting how it's how it's a departure from most of his films, and yet how it is very much uh, one of his films because it's a big he makes big screen movies, mm-hmm. and also it's uh, sort of atypical uh, approach to narrative how it does the three well, different Memento. stories. Well, I know that shows how it's uh, a usual sort of. Christopher Nolan doing a war movie, but doing it his way, how he does the experiment with one week, one day, and one hour, all coinciding and cross-cutting together. It's one of the great cross-cutting movies, because we get the three different storylines all... When is it happening? We don't really know until the final moments. And that the part where they do the reveal underneath the oil is a little bit uh, corny, Christopher Nolan, but we love him for his corniness and uh, for all of the excesses that come with the Christopher Nolan movie. But this is very much a Nolan version of a war movie, but also uh, paying homage to the, like the big sixties war movies uh, like bridge or bridge on the requires from the fifties, but like battle on the bulls and uh, from the seventies, uh, a bridge too far, which I was thinking about putting on here, but is one of those long ones and you can't have all the long movies. So you probably have enough running time for two picks. Have you, uh, calculated your running time up till now after six picks jonathan is at 735 minutes allowing him basically two more picks unless you want a four-hour movie (laughs) no okay so i'm gonna pick a film that is from many different countries but uh primarily from israel a 2009 film called lebanon which is an interesting war film because the entire film pretty much takes place within a tank the whole movie is from the vantage point of the soldiers that are stuck within this tank and it's set during the first lebanon war in 1982 uh it won the golden lion at the venice film festival and it's a very uh, gripping war film, but an interesting twist on it because you're seeing and you see the outside world, but you're only seeing it from the little window and the, uh, you know, the telescope or whatever uh, uh, of the tank. So it's 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 also like Periscope. Right, Paris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not telescope, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting in uh, the way of Son of Saul is that you're getting a interesting vantage point of the war of like what are you seeing and not mm-hmm. seeing, where are the characters located within the horrors of war, and um, 
I remember that David Cronenberg said that was one of the movies he watched when he did his film Cosmopolis, which is largely set within a limousine. Mm-hmm. So uh, Lebanon is one of the best cinematic displays of like a claustrophobic one setting of a film. I mean, it's kind of a one setting. Like there's the film is set in one setting and then they go to other settings within that one setting. So it's an interesting uh, playing with interior and exterior because it's like, well, is the film entirely interior, but you're getting to see some exteriors outside the interior, you know? So uh, I highly recommend the film Lebanon, which is 93 minutes. Uh, It's a really uh, powerful uh, another foreign language film since uh-huh. you're always watching the your dumb American movies outfit. So. <laughs> Rambo threes. Right. Uh, another one I have not seen. I did. I wasn't even aware of this movie. I've seen fury, which famously takes place inside a tank. You would say this is better than fury. <laughs> oh yeah. And I don't No, I don't hate fury. Not trashing fury, but this is like the elevated yeah. version of the concept. Right. And, um, I am going to pick another foreign language film. Did you see a film from 2015 called Land of Mine? I have not. Yeah, so this is a You have 135 film. minutes to play with. Does that come in underneath that, uh... It's 100 minutes. Okay, look at you coming in with 35 yeah. minutes to spare. <laughs> right, so this is a film from Denmark that is set right after World War II. And you want to talk about intense. Yeah. This is a movie about, do you know the premise of this movie? Mm-mm. It's about a group of young German POWs that are forced to clear the bombs off of a beach, oh, landmines. Wow. And so the whole movie, there's so many scenes where it's quiet 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 and bang and someone like blows up and dies instantly and it's so intense because it really it's up there with a quiet place that shows you how intense silence and quietness can be because there's these scenes of these young men who are uh, prisoners of war and they're very and it's also a great film of watching people perform a task uh-huh. you learn how they're supposed to go about diffusing the minds how they're supposed to search and very quietly and slowly and diligently they go along the beach trying to uncover these thousands of landmines and it is very intense it was a really good one to see in a movie theater where you can't adjust the volume because you're sitting on the edge of your seat and your sphincter is tight for a lot of that movie uh but it was nominated for best foreign language film um came out in 2015 uh land land of mine danish movie yeah very strong movie yeah. yeah, another one I have not seen. You're coming in with some strong yeah. foreign war movies here at, yeah, to counteract yeah. my American one. We've got two different approaches to the marathon here. Um, we will take a moment to figure out our order and then we'll reveal the final movie marathons uh, in one second. Alright, so after taking some time to come up with our running orders, we have these starting at 8am and finishing around 11 to midnight. When does yours finish? Mine finishes at 11.15. 11pm. 11pm. Alright, do you want to reveal yours first or me do mine? Well, I, you started, so I'll start, I guess, this time. Okay. 8am, duck soup. 9.15am, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. 11 a.m., 
Lebanon, 12.45 p.m., The Best Years of Our Lives, 3.45 p.m., Son of Saul, 5.45 p.m., Cross of Iron, 8 p.m., Land of Mine, 9.45 p.m., The Emperor's Naked Army Marches On. Finish up with a wild one there. Yeah, ending at midnight. That really wakes you up with uh, Lebanon around 11. Yeah, it's um yeah, you would start out with some funny comedies and get a little more serious and I tried to balance it between like really harrowing foreign language war film and then like the best years of our lives. Uh-huh. And uh yeah, a lot of mine are pretty heavy, but there are some comedies too. I yeah, I like the way it starts off a little bit lighter, but then becomes hey, let's not forget while we're watching these war movies, war is a pretty serious thing. Right. Uh, that's basically how mine goes. I'm starting off with eight AM Casablanca get you in there nice and easy with some classic uh, war drama. 9.45 a.m. to be or not to be. We bring some laughs in there. Uh, 11.30, the Dirty Dozen. Start off your afternoon with some adventure. 2 p.m. and Glorious Bastards. Continue that rip-roaring adventure of an afternoon. 4.45, we get a little bit more serious here. We get Paths of Glory reminding us of how tragic war can be. And then we've got Dunkirk at 6.15, uh, just emphasizing that a little bit more. And they're getting very serious, very contemplative late at night, 8.15, with The Thin Red Line. You're thinking about all the movies you watched today, wrap it up with The Thin Red Line to bring it all back home. Uh, two different sort of approaches here. I think yours is a little more, I'm going to learn oh, a little bit about film history <laughs> watching this. Going to learn a little bit about foreign cinema. With mine, you're just going to be comforted with the familiar war movies. But it's a little bit of, a, of an easier watch. Yours, I think, is a little bit more instructive, though. And yeah. For me, it would actually be a great movie marathon because I haven't seen uh, about half of them. Well, I'll say that even though a movie like Land of Mine is really intense, it's a really entertaining movie. I was going to mention, too, that uh, they had a – forum with the best director nominees uh, a few years ago and spike lee was asked to name another movie that year that he really liked that wasn't nominated for best director and he's like i don't know what came out this year but he said i'll mention another recent movie and he mentioned land of mine as being a movie that really hit him um so and the emperor's naked army is like really funny in a messed up fascinating way so even the ones that are some of them that are heavier Uh they're quote unquote entertaining i mean that's one of the questions the debates about war films is yes uh, are they what is the purpose of these should we be having fun watching people die right do we want to mention just one more uh extra one is like a little uh you know if you can squeeze in another one if uh, (laughs) If we want to take this till 2 30 in the morning well i have one that's only 78 minutes that i've mentioned on a previous episode is uh buster keaton's the general yes which I think is one of the top Civil ten, War. Uh, top ten comedies, war films, action films ever made. That would take it way back. I think all of ours were twentieth century or twenty first century wars. That yeah. would be taking us way back. Also, it would be the only silent movie. Right. Um, what were some other uh, ones you had in uh, the Grand Illusion? John Renoir's. Looking back, I should have picked that one. Damn it. There's, I left some on the board here. I left Bridge on the Requi. I left Full Metal Jacket, Grand Illusion. Those are the three big ones. MASH was one I was thinking about. 
Yeah, it's a great film. Um, I want to mention one that I don't know how many people have seen. Uh, a lot of people have seen Oliver Stone's Platoon, which yes. won Best Picture. A lot of people have seen Born on the Fourth of July. But have you ever seen his film Salvador? No, the one with James Woods. Right, who is obnoxious now, but he's <laughs> but a very was good a great actor. Great actor in the eighties. Yeah, it actually came out the same year as Platoon, actually. <laughs> wow. And it's one of the very few times that uh, the same director uh, – well, he was the director of the film too, but it's one of the very few times that screenwriter was nominated twice in the same year because wow. Platoon and Salvador came out the same year. So, uh, yeah. And Born, all three of those movies were really, really good. Yeah. Born on the Fourth of July was one I hadn't seen, uh, but – I, it's, I th- it's one I think a lot of people are familiar with the Tom Cruise in the wheelchair without actually even knowing that it's from Born on the Fourth of July. But that is a very powerful anti-war movie. Um, yeah, I have a friend who said that that was like a changing point movie yeah. for her because she didn't she kind of didn't want to watch movies that weren't fun after that because it was so oh, really? disturbing and like <laughs> I've shown her a lot of horror movies since then, but she just she had to stop and think, uh, you know, what movies do I want to you know, take in because uh-huh. this movie is just so upsetting. Yeah. Uh, but in a powerful, very important powerful way. way. Right. So we got a mix of comedy, foreign films, uh, typical war movies. You know. Mm-hmm. So we got a mix. Mine uh, is very much the the traditional AMC, uh, IFC, TCM kind of movies. But I, yours could be a Sundance or IFC sort of one. Um. But yeah. Happy yeah. Memorial Day, everybody. I'm definitely going to stay inside and watch some more movies. Uh, definitely going to watch The Dirty Dozen. Jonathan, you got to fix You got to fix that. You got to watch The Dirty Dozen. Yeah, and I, I would recommend uh, from my list of some of the ones you haven't seen, I most recommend The Emperor's Naked Army Marches mm-hmm. On. Yeah, for someone, uh, me, who, has, who probably should see more documentaries, that sounds like a very good one to get. Uh, a non-documentary watcher interested in a little bit more documentaries but like i said it's on youtube yeah so available no excuse not to watch it right all right thank you for listening uh we will be back with you guys next time